welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Today, we're speaking with Shay Baker. Shay is the program manager for Return Utah, the first and only state return to work program in the United States. She manages the overall return to work experience for state returnees, as well as collaborative training and orientation efforts between dozens of state agencies and iRelaunch. Shay is also responsible for the marketing and communication campaigns utilized to increase visibility of the Return Utah brand and its success. As a returner herself and a member of the inaugural cohort of Return Utah, Shay's returnship was at the Utah Department of Commerce as a communications specialist. Prior to her eight-year career break, Shay worked as a television news producer and reporter in the Salt Lake City market, and she holds a bachelor's degree in communication from Weber State University and lives in Layton, Utah with her husband and three daughters. Now, interestingly, three senior women at the state of Utah are relaunchers. One of them is Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson, who took a 13-year career break and who was the impetus behind Return Utah. Shay, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. And why don't we start out um, by uh, talking about your career path uh, before your career break. I know I mentioned in the intro that you're a relauncher, you were part of the inaugural cohort of Return Utah, and were a television news reporter and producer. Uh, And can you tell us how long your career break was and um, what you did before and then why you ended up taking the career break? Yes. So I was on a career break for eight years. And just prior to my career break, I was working as a reporter in the Salt Lake City market at a TV news station here. And I actually chose to go on a career break because I had had my first child. Um, As many of you may or may not know, the news industry is a super busy industry. It has some work-life balance, but it's pretty difficult in the, in the sense that you're on call all the time, right? There's a lot of options to be called in for breaking news. You know, if it's election season, oftentimes you'll work late, you'll do double shifts on election night. And if there's things like that happening, you're sort of at the will to the, to the news cycle. Well, my husband was traveling a lot for his job at that time, and we had a baby. And that work-life balance just didn't work out for me. You know, it was hard for me to be working weekends and to be working 15 days straight. Sometimes if we have busy stories or people calling in sick and it's hard to drop off your baby in the morning for, to a babysitter and then get called into breaking news and try to pick them up at 11 PM. That just doesn't really work. Right. (laughs) So for us, we were financially able to, allow me to stay home. And I chose to stay home with my daughter and I now have three. She's eight, my Mm -hmm. oldest, and I still have young children. I have a five-year-old and I have a one-year-old baby that just turned one recently. Wow. Um, That's a lot for sure. And thank you for that background. Uh, Can you tell us uh, some more details about the Return Utah program and how long is it and what kind of roles are involved and and maybe some of the features of the program? Sure. So the Return Utah program focuses itself around sort of a returnship opportunity. This idea that you return to work, 
in sort of an internship setting, but it's an internship for adults who have an education and who have a professional background. So you're starting sort of in the middle as opposed to on the bottom, which is what most return or excuse me, what most internships do. So the returnship is sort of like a mid-level internship to get you back in. And here in the state of Utah, we have all sorts of types of positions. So in my inaugural cohort, I was a communication specialist. There were people in purchasing, um, people that were data analysts, policy analysts. We had a person at the Division of Alcohol and Beverage Control that was working on, um, I think, the alcohol, like a huge project with sort of alcohol percentages and in, in spirits and wines and trying to um, loosen regulation on those type of things here in the state of Utah. So they really vary across the board. Right now we have a cohort that's going, we have 15 people in this cohort and they, they run all over the place from positions that include like, you know, assistants and secretaries to things like data analysts, to things like um, child care supervisors to things like program managers for tourism. There's all sorts of job opportunities and some are part-time, some are full-time. Some are, you know, 16 weeks and then they decide from there if you're going to move onward or stay with the organization. Some of these are intent to hire positions, meaning that they're sort of bringing you on as like an audition. And if things are going well, you get a, a full-time job or or whatever job you're looking for. So there's a lot of flexibility there and it's really exciting. Yeah, I have to say one of the notable, besides being the, the very first state return to work program, which is exciting in itself, the breadth of roles that, and different types of roles and the part-time versus full-time, um, pretty unique to a returnship program as far as, as what we've seen. Uh, and I really liked to see um, that huge variety in different types of roles. Uh, and I remember uh, the first cohort having worked really closely with the first cohort uh, that the roles that people were in were, were pretty challenging roles in, in all different areas, really across the organization. So um, uh, very unique in general, but also to be right out of the gate with, with that much breadth um, in your program. Shay, can you talk about eligibility? Like how how long does your career break have to be? Um, it, are, do people have all different types of career breaks? Like how do you know if you're eligible or a certain amount of work experience in order to apply? Well, to be eligible, the first step is that you have to have had a career break period. Mm -hmm. And we listed that career break as two years or more. Mm -hmm. So you have to have been out of the workforce for two years or more. The reason why you were out of the workforce doesn't matter to us. Obviously, that's personal, so it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Um, we have people in the current cohort that's running right now who have, they're returning to work after being stay-at-home moms. We have a couple people who are returning because they have had a divorce and they need a, a job or they need to sort of jumpstart a new career or a new path. We have a couple people who have had some health problems. We have a retiree, um, a gentleman that had a great career and was retired and he's kind of bored. Um, mm -hmm. And he, he wants to do a part-time job along with golf, but he doesn't mm -hmm. want to be like a, like a, um, 
you know, like a cashier or an usher at a movie theater. He wants like a real higher paying job mm-hmm. that's part time that takes him further into his retirement years. So it's a great fit for him. We also have we do have a student, um, a young man who has been working on getting his degree for many years. And so he's looking into a professional job that actually harbors some of the things he did prior to going to college. He's a non-traditional student, so he's older. Mm-hmm. He's not your standard, you know, 18 to 22. He's in his late 20s and he had some work experience prior to getting his degree. And so now that he's been off for several years, just going to school, he's looking for the perfect opportunity. You know, Shay, when you're talking about all these different reasons for career break, it really reflects how we approach relaunching at iRelaunch that, you know, people take career breaks for so many different reasons. And and I love that you have a retiree in there who is, quote, unretiring. That's, that's what we call it. Um, and we don't have that many uh, retirees unretiring in formal employer return to work program. So really exciting to hear about uh, that person being in the mix. Uh, so I'm just curious because you've worked in the, you've worked for uh, TV stations and private sector companies, and now you're working in the public sector. Is there anything that you noticed? Because uh, I'm just going to reiterate, you were in the inaugural cohort um, of Return Utah before now leading the program itself, which is fantastic. Um, but I'm just wondering, did you note anything different uh, working for the state as opposed to working for a private employer? Yeah, there's a couple things. Um, and the first I would say is very positive. I was very impressed coming into my new job as a returner at sort of the openness of people and the excite the excitement that was surrounding the returnship opportunity. I went to the Utah Department of Commerce, which is run by a returner herself, Margaret Bussey, who is out of the workforce for over a decade to raise her children. She's highly educated. She's extremely bright and brilliant and just really carries herself exceptionally. And I think she was part of that. I mean, she was so excited to get the the department involved in this program. When I first met with her, she one of the first things she said to me was, you know, I've been there. I, I remember doing this. I've been there. It's scary. And that really made me feel comfortable. And I feel like because she had that sort of sense of what it's like to return to a job after a career break and how it's nerve wracking and scary, but also really exciting at the same time. I think she really bolstered the rest of the department and everyone was really kind and welcoming. The second thing I noticed that sort of surprised me, and this is probably my own bias, is I think everyone has this idea of what sort of state government is or what working for the government is. I think we all have this idea that like, employees that work in government are sort of lazy and that they, you know, they do the minimal amount of work that's required and, you know, they hate their jobs and all of this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the bureaucracy that it's so mundane. And maybe that's from reading too many political science books about the bureaucracy. (laughs) I was, I was very surprised. Um, I was impressed by the fact that people didn't hate their jobs. They seemed to like it. In the agency I was at, I was impressed by the quality of people that were there. I mean, we're talking people that have Juris Doctorates and MBAs and two bachelor's degrees and experience in the private sector. 
And they've come along because they want to make a difference. I was so impressed by the quality of people that worked there. Almost everyone I worked with had a higher level degree, um, you know, a master's degree or above, lots of law degrees in government. And that's that's great. Like, it's great to work with people who have this great experience and sort of, you know, this intellect that transponds academia and works in real life. That was exciting to me. And in addition, I was really impressed by everyone's, it seemed at least at the Department of Commerce, they have this goal of just continuous improvement. And I really saw that, that everyone there was looking at just improving and constantly bettering services, which in the private sector, and maybe I've seen that in other jobs I've had, but I also worked in news where it's go, 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 and it's deadline, 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 and there's a lot going on. And you're certainly always trying to improve, but a lot of the focus is just getting your story on the air mm-hmm. by deadline and making sure it's quality. And so sometimes that improvement has to take the back burner, right? Just to get the story on the air. So it was nice to see such a focus. The only downside I would say to working in government that I have found is there is some red tape, right? Like if you're coming in and you're sort of giving a, given a task like do this, You really have to figure it out because government, you know, it's been, everything's been organized a certain way for quite a long time. So for example, when I was at Commerce, one of the things we wanted to do was look at communication strategies that were being used internally and externally. There was a review done by sort of a transition team after Governor Governor Cox, who's our current governor, was elected. And sort of a transition team looking at how we could further align ourselves, um, all the agencies, how they could align themselves with sort of his plan for the state of Utah. And one of the things that was mentioned in that review was that this that the Department of Commerce needed to improve sort of their customer involvement, their their role or, or how they were looked at by the customer. Because commerce serves hundreds of thousands of people. They help people get business licenses to open a business. They help people get personal licenses to be a physician or a nurse or to build homes or to cut hair or do nails or do a tattoo. You know, I mean, they really license a ton of people for all sorts mm-hmm. of reasons. And um, it was important to know, well, what does the public think about our services? Are they satisfied or are they frustrated But to do that across the entire agency and figure that out was near impossible because, you know, if you work in the real estate, you only have access to real estate stuff. If you work for in licensing, you only have access to that. If you work in securities, you only have access to that. So there is some red tape because of the way things are organized. And, you know, it was pretty common for me to hear, well, we've never done that before. (laughs) we'll figure out how to get past that, but we've never Mm -hmm. done that before. And that's, I don't know that that exists in the private sector because it's not regimented. Yeah. But people who work in very big bureaucratic private sector organizations might, might very well say the same thing, but uh, I really appreciate your frank reflections there on, on the differences. I, also have to join you in praise for um, Margaret Bussey, uh, who is a senior level relauncher, as you said, um, uh, along with um, 
Lieutenant Governor Henderson, uh, and also the uh, Lieutenant Governor's Chief of Staff, Jen Robison, uh, took an 18-year career break. I think Margaret Bussey took a 12-year career break. It is so unusual to have senior-level relaunchers at the top of an organization uh, as role models, not only for the relaunchers, but for the employers to see this is what it right. looks like when uh, relaunchers have been back after their career break and have moved up into senior roles. Right. And we're trying to find more, frankly. I mean, after starting this role, now running the Return Utah program, I thought to myself, there's got to be more people that are returners. There has to be more. And so I sent out sort of a statewide email blast. You know, if you know anyone that's a returner, I need their name because I mm -hmm. want to utilize them as a resource so that if I have a returner that's a retiree, maybe he can call someone that's a retiree at a different department and say like, hey, how did this transition work for you? We're trying to set up a more, um, a more viable mentorship sort of program within Return mm -hmm. Utah, a, a buddy system to really help our returners and give them, you know, a resource, a, a soundboard to discuss things with. And, you know, I discovered two more people at higher level leadership. There's Jenny Reese, who is the executive director of government operations, and one of her deputy directors, Marilee Richens, both returned from raising children. So that's really exciting. I love that. And also your concept about um, the, the mentoring piece, because we know um, from experience how, uh, how important, and you and I both know as, as relaunchers ourselves, how meaningful it is to be able to uh, be mentored by or have a relationship with someone inside an organization who has returned themselves and they really understand every phase of that transition firsthand. So. Uh, so that's exciting. And also because your program's growing, so you are going to be able to have a larger and larger number of um, relaunchers inside the organization who can be in that role. So all of that is, is, is excellent news. Shay, I just want to jump for a minute to your own personal situation because um, you were in that first cohort in, in the commerce uh, area and communications, and then you moved to become leader of the program of Return Utah. And I just want to know um, if you can tell us a little bit of, about that transition and what your plan and what you're thinking about in terms of your leadership role and your priorities for and vision for the program in the future. Okay, well. Priority number one is to just get a grasp on the program itself. <laughs> so I'm only in week three of this role. Mm -hmm. um, I just ended my experience at, at the Department of Commerce. So I'm still trying to understand the back end of the program. As a participant, obviously, I understand what it's like to be a returner, how I felt. Um, my my fellow returners that were in my, my cohort when we were starting, we talk often and so I utilize their experiences because I really want to make sure it's a positive experience for our returners. That's a top priority for me. Um, but really, I'm just trying to get my grasp on sort of the back end of the program, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you run this program on the state? How do you make it easier for managers? How do you help um, coach people in a way that gives them autonomy, but also you know, makes it a win-win situation for everyone. How do we get people excited about this program within the state? How do we inform 
um, you know, the media and outside outside groups so that this program grows. There's all sort of functions. And I have a lot of goals going forward or, or at least ideas. Right now, I'm just looking at trying to figure out how the program functions. And one of my main focuses is setting up the program for, through the end of the year. We've decided mm-hmm. we're going to do three cohorts a year. Um, this week, I've set up dates for what those cohorts cohorts are, when they're going to start, when they're going to end, and when everything is going to happen in between. Mm-hmm. And um, then the goals are really to help establish the program so it's sustainable. Um, that's a main goal so that if I were to step away or if someone else were to, for some reason, come in, that it can continue to run successfully And in doing so, that requires filling some holes. So Dan Chadwick at the Division of Human Resource Management, Management, excuse me, Jenny Wakefield, they pretty much set this program up on their own. They were given a directive from Lieutenant Governor's office to make it happen. They made it happen. They made it seamless. It was a wonderful experience for us. But it was a starter, right? Um, I'm forever impressed. Like every time I go to get to work, I'm like, I can't believe they did this amount of work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This was a lot of work to do in a short amount of time. My job is to just sort of take the program to new heights and utilize my marketing and communication experience and help the program grow, but also utilizing some HR experience I had in the past to really help make this program successful on all fronts. And to make it innovative, um, to make it interesting. And so those are those are some of my main goals, really just to grasp the program, to ensure that this first cohort that I'm managing is having a successful experience. From there, we're going to make it grow. And then we're going to fill in some holes and improve the experience for managers. And um, another main goal is to get that mentorship sort of buddy system program within the program running so that that is successful and that everyone feels supportive. And I'm sure those goals are going to continue as we go forward. And as the program changes, the Lieutenant Governor's Office is really interested in expanding this program to include the private sector Mm -hmm. in a way that the state provides resources and help for private sector businesses that want to start their own programs. Um, And that will happen eventually too. Time will tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but first and foremost, I'm just trying to keep this one running and and accomplish those very basic goals of growth, mentorship, and improving the overall experience. Well, those sound like foundational and fundamental goals that are exactly the the right uh, the right thing to be focusing on at this stage and. It's so thrilling to see you in that role. Um, uh, And I think the experience that you had being in the program itself is just invaluable in terms of a a vantage point from which to think about where the program can go from here. Um, I want to jump to what the recruiting process was like. Um, maybe, I don't know if you want to comment on the recruiting process you went through or or the, how the recruiting process was maybe tweaked um, for this second cohort, even though that was before you officially got into this role. Um, and if you have any advice for uh, relaunchers who are interested in applying for the Return Utah program. 
So the recruiting process was pretty much the same for my my cohort as well as for the cohort that's currently running. They're in week three of 16 weeks, so we're all kind of new together. That process has been pretty pretty similar. There hasn't been any big changes. I don't know if there will be big changes down the line either. That's gone pretty well. Of course, we'll always look at ways to improve, but um, really it's very basic. You know, mm-hmm. an agency decides if they have an opportunity that a returnship can fill and what that looks like, right? D- do they want to keep them on if they do a good job? Do they have the budget for a full-time role, a part-time role, et cetera? The agency makes that choice. They then inform us at Return Utah, and they have an HR analyst that works with them. That job is posted in the traditional way. It's on the state website. There might be additional postings you know, under sort of the Return Utah umbrella, like on our LinkedIn or whatever. But it's just posted the regular way. And, um, you know, candidates that meet the, the criteria can apply. And of course, there's a screening process as there is in any other job. If they don't have a two-year career break, it doesn't really work. Um, but they're screened, they're interviewed, and if they're successful in the interview process, they get a job offer. But they are told, of course, that it's sort of this return ship opportunity. And typically, they meet that criteria, and they're looking for something like that. So it really is a great fit. Um, obviously, if someone's working full time and looking for a change, a returnship isn't a good fit. So they would be not even involved in the mm-hmm. interview process. They would be screened prior. Um, but in terms of actually getting a position or or the sort of interviewer hiring process, my only advice would be to really to just be brave. I think mm. it's scary when you've been out of the workforce. It's terrifying to rewrite your resume. It's confusing on how to rewrite a resume with a career break. Because you're always told, well, if there's holes in a resume, it doesn't make sense. And it's the first one cast out. Well, how do you overcome that hurdle? How do you go into an interview when you haven't really had a conversation that was work-related in many years? Um, You know, in my case, I was a stay-at-home mom. I I felt, and I still feel, like my, my vocabulary isn't up to par as it once was. I still feel that I don't think as well on my feet as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's all sorts of barriers. I mean, if you think about someone who may be returning after caring for a loved one, maybe someone in their family was sick. I mean, you're looking at some really emotional things that were really, really difficult there. I mean, that's that's hard to find purpose in, in something. Um you know, that's professional when everything you did was maybe life or death for somebody. So there's a lot of different fears there. So my first advice would be to be brave. Mm -hmm. My second would be to utilize your network. Um, I started trying to sort of fix my resume. I didn't even realize I needed one. And I had an interview and I thought, oh yeah, I probably need a resume, don't I? (laughs) Oh shoot. (laughs) I've got three days Uh and I have no idea what to do. And so I called some friends and I said, I'm sending you this resume. What do you think? What do you think I should do? You know, I Googled everything on how do I, how do I write a resume when I've had a career break, all sorts of things. I think together we all came with a conclusion. I practiced interviewing briefly. 
Mm-hmm. I love to interview. So back in the day when I was younger, I used to do pageants and interviewing was like sort of my strength. But oh my gosh, did I struggle mm-hmm. as, as an adult who hasn't really had intelligent conversations for many years. So I made my husband ask me questions. Mm-hmm. I sort of rehearsed in the mirror as I would put my makeup on in the morning for a week or two um, because I just was unfamiliar with it. And I really utilized that, those, my network. I talked to people, I got ideas. I had a few friends who were really willing to hear about all my concerns, all of the things that excited me about the opportunity. And they were so supportive. I had a friend that even, you know, she talked to her husband about it. And then she texted me later and said, you know, TJ wants to talk to you and give his opinion. And he gave me his opinion and they're valued friends of ours. Mm. So it meant a lot to me that so many people were sort of cheering for me, whatever my decision was, and just looking for my success. I mean, in a couple weeks in, when I felt that the returnship was going well, I mentioned to that same friend, you know, I I feel like I need more to do. And so I told them I needed more to do and, you know, that I could handle more than they were giving me. And she was like, of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> Because you can handle anything. I mean, who doesn't need that kind of cheerleader in their corner? Right. So utilize your network and be brave. Right before I started, I'll actually share this because I thought it was so serendipitous. I went to take my eight-year-old daughter to a dance store to buy tap shoes because the dance season was starting. And this is like a week before my returnship is to start. Mm-hmm. I'd accepted the job, but I had not secured childcare. I was terrified and I was actually concerned for two reasons. I thought, well, if I don't get childcare, I'll bag it. Mm -hmm. And that idea felt like a relief. But then I thought, but if I do get childcare, I'll go to this job. And that felt like a relief also. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it was here, I was still sort of torn. Yeah. We went to this dance store and we bought our dance shoes and like a scrunchie or something. And there were, there were these postcards on the counter of two dancers. And this postcard said, do big and scary things. Wow. So I grabbed it mm-hmm. and I took it. And when I started my job, I hung it up right there in front of me. And in my new job, it's right there because I'm a firm believer in doing that in general in your life. Mm -hmm. But I think when you have not been working for a while, your confidence does take a hit. You wonder if you can really do the things that people think you can do. I'm kind of wondering that right now, to be honest, (laughs) in my new role. Like, can I really pull this off? Mm -hmm. And um I just think that's a huge, that's like a slogan for life, right? Do yeah. big and scary things because I it always it. pays off and you always mm-hmm. can rise to the occasion. I know very few people who don't because that pressure motivates us to succeed, even if it's self-governed pressure, right? Um, and I just thought that was so serendipitous. I grabbed it. I grabbed one for my girls. I have all girls. And I brought it home and I said to my husband, look, and I'm like, oh, this childcare thing's going to work out. We're going to find somebody. And we did the next day. Wow. It all works out. You know, I love the advice and this anecdote um, and also how you're talking now about um, 
how it worked out during the return trip and how it's working out right now. And obviously you are exceeding expectations in every way and you did. And I will also mention that the inaugural cohort had a hundred percent conversion. You know, all the returners that were in the program were hired at the end. So the self-doubt and the conversation you were having with yourself um, as you were applying and before it's like, am I thinking as well as I used to? And my language, it all came roaring back. And, and your, your community knew, knows you so well that they already knew that that was going to happen. Right. Yeah. Which is so enlightening. And I think for returners who are so, uh, it's hard. It's just hard to go back to work. It's hard. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of um, self doubt. There's a lot of, like sort of you're rusty in certain a certain sense and you're worried about what that looks like to your supervisors and your managers and are the, are they going to be patient are they going to be nice to you are people going to like you coming in right mm-hmm. like are they going to be like who's this person and treat you like a college intern which mm-hmm. is i that was a fear of mine like is this going to be like a real job or am i or am i they say i'm starting at the middle am i really or am i going to feel like a college intern like i did when you're an intern in a newsroom, you, you know you're at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't. They, <laughs> nobody <laughs> minces words, okay? I mean, mm-hmm. they know you're at the bottom. You're certainly not running to get coffee for people, but you're you're definitely at the bottom. You know you're at the bottom, and if you want to rise to the top, you gotta just you know pull up your big girl pants, and you've got to just go get it and look for those opportunities even though it's kind of embarrassing almost to say like, Hey, can I go out with you and your photographer and watch how you do this story and watch how you do this? And can I write this for you? It's kind of embarrassing. So I was kind of worried coming in that it would be like that, which I loved my internships back in the day, but it's hard. It's, it's hard to swallow your pride that way sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so, um, But, you know, my husband was so kind in saying a few weeks in, he said to my now nanny, he said, you know, I can see when Shay has seen light Mm. and this is a transition for our family. It has been, it hasn't been all peaches and cream. Mm -hmm. It's been a little hard to get used to things um, and me being busy in a different way. But he said, I, I know when Shay has seen light and when Shay has seen light, she's an incredible force. And I've been so grateful because he's been a huge cheerleader for me mm-hmm. and he has seen that resurgence in me. And we've now discussed like our future and our sort of both of our career goals, which I, I wondered if I'd ever do that again. Mm-hmm. And it's just very exciting because at the same time, I don't feel like my family is suffering, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's a, it's a good time for us and the timing was right and the position and everything was right. So it's just very exciting. And I would just encourage everyone to just really utilize that network when you don't feel like you have the strength. And then once you have that strength and you're feeling comfortable in yourself, just be so grateful and humble to all those that helped you get there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Shay, thank you so much for laying all of this out and making it personal and 
telling us so much about your own transition in addition to giving us so much information about Return Utah. It was really a special conversation. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I will say really quick, Carol, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. my experience is my experience, right? But it was that way across the board for mm -hmm. my fellow cohort members. Mm -hmm. It was something that built all of our confidence. It was a transformative experience for us. And now all of us are in, you know, actual real roles where we're not returnship or where it's, you know, temporary or, or whatever. And the experience was the same for all of us. And that's a really great thing to say. So I think if someone's on the fence about returning to work or how to do it, sometimes I think we think too much about it. Just do it. If you want to do it, just do it. And the rest will work out from there. It always does. Everything will get worked out on its way. Mm -hmm. Wow. That, those are um, great words to, to wrap up our conversation. Shay, right before uh, we uh, end our, our conversation, can you tell us how our audience can find out more information about Return Utah? And I guess before you answer that, can you just clarify, do people have to be a resident of the state of Utah in order to apply for and participate in the program? Yes. So in order to participate in the program or to pursue a job posting that you're inter interested in within Return Utah, you have to live in the state of Utah. A lot of the opportunities are remote, but the lieutenant governor and governor feel that if we're, if we're doing sort of this transitional program, we really want to do it for Utahns that work mm -hmm. for the state of Utah. So okay. um, that's the ultimate goal. So for those, those people, you can look on Indeed, you can look on our state job board um, for people that are actually applying within the state. For everyone who may have an interest in either learning about the program, maybe you have a family member that lives in Utah, or maybe you don't live in Utah, but you're interested in a program or sort of resources or some direction, we do have a website called inutah.org forward slash return. And that's a good resource to basically get information, very general information on the program. We're working on a branded Return Utah LinkedIn and some other social media things as well, which people can look into. And um, if there's any questions in regard to setting up your own program or how to make this work on a state level or how you can get involved where you are, uh, people can feel free to contact me. I'm Shay Baker on LinkedIn and on Twitter, and I'm happy to answer questions or maybe refer you to some place that you can get the resources you need. Right now, the information is pretty general, but that's another goal sort of long-term is in to, to increase our media presence and our visibility here at Return Utah so we're more accessible to those who need, it, need us. Excellent, that's very generous of you um, to um offer to speak with people um, through your LinkedIn. So thanks, Shay. And Shay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of I Relaunch and your host. 
For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.